Hello, and welcome to The Edutators. This is your host, Brandon Kai. In today's episode, we will focus on people with hearing difficulties or who are completely deaf. You will hear from Mr. Neil McDivitt, a Gallaudet University graduate, who is now the first deaf directly elected mayor in the U.S. He has also been the executive director of the Deaf Hearing Communication Center, the DHCC, in the Philadelphia area for 10 years. He can not only communicate via American Sign Language, but also in spoken English. It is truly amazing and inspirational to hear him talk. Mr. McDivitt will share his experience as not only a deaf person, but also a leader in the deaf community. More importantly, we will learn how we can help to make the deaf community more included in education, in the workforce, and in society. So first and foremost, congratulations on your history-making achievement of becoming the first deaf person to be directly elected as mayor. Um, That is truly amazing to me. Uh, Can you tell the audience a little more about yourself? Sure. um, My name is uh, Neil McDavid. Um, I was born hearing, but I was only hearing for a few minutes. Uh, back in 1973, when I was born, I got too much oxygen because I was uh, premature. So I've always grown up as a person with the hearing loss. And uh, when, as I got older, I, I identified more with being a deaf person. In other words, being somebody who was culturally deaf using sign language. And uh, um, the executive director for the Deaf Hearing Communication Center, which is a nonprofit in the Philadelphia region. And uh, I've been mayor now for a year and a half. I have, I, I, my wife and I will be celebrating our 25th anniversary this year and have two grown uh, sons. Thank you so much. Your experience is truly inspirational. So you have been the executive director of the Deaf Hearing Communication Center for 10 years, uh, and your DHCC is working on teaching ASL and organizing community events to support the deaf and hard of hearing. Uh, Could you tell us more about that? DHCC was founded back in 1972 to teach hearing parents of deaf children how to communicate with their children, basically. So we started with teaching sign language classes. Uh, We continue to teach ASL American Sign Language classes today. That one uh, part of it, it's an important part because we just see a huge need for hearing family members, colleagues, friends to learn sign language to fully include their uh, deaf and hard of hearing family friends, colleagues. Um, 
He also, our biggest uh, program is our sign language interpreting services. So throughout Philadelphia area, we provide um, ASL interpreters for um, our deaf and hard of hearing and deafblind community members. So they can participate fully in their jobs, uh, doctor appointments, court appearances, whatever there is the requirement for an interpreter, our organization provides that. Community events, we just had a community day event. One of the challenges, especially during COVID, was many people were um, isolated in their homes. And so we're going back to hosting in-person community events so that people are able to meet each other, see each other, um, catch up on the news, that sort of thing. Uh, prior to COVID, there were very, very regular events where you get together and catch up on the news and, and whatnot. So we also have a program right now in partnership with Fed uh, Obvious um, Department of Public Health, where one of the lessons learned from COVID was how do you know where to send interpreters for a vaccination clinic? We don't know where deaf people live. So we have a, I won't call it a census, but we have a project underway to try to collect as much data as we can that shows not just the city of Philadelphia, but the communities around that you, know, you have deaf people living in your area who need to start preparing your emergency plans. So if something happens, you're prepared for that. Yeah, so clearly your work is um, pretty important. So after being elected mayor, uh, how are you working both jobs? Uh, fairly. Honestly, uh, the mayor role is more of a part-time job than anything. Um, we are a very, very small community of about 3,400 people. So, um, and mayors and boroughs like ours are not like the mayors in bigger cities where they are not only the, uh, the mayor, but they're also the chief administrative officer for those communities. Here we have a full-time borough manager whose job is to take care of one of the day-to-day -day stuff. So my role and responsibility is to supervise the chief of police and then um, we'll break a tie in the council if needed. And you know, the biggest part of really is being the community's cheerleader, you know, being the supporter, 
putting together a program that far takes the most time. We have an outstanding chief of chief of police. So um, yeah, it's because we have amazing people, my job is very but it doesn't mean no, we don't have issues. Uh, people complain about speeding, they complain about parking. We try to take care of that. Yeah, uh, that sounds pretty cool. Um, so uh, as I've done some research about ASL in my past project, when I first interviewed you two years ago, uh, I learned that ASL is the native language and education method for deaf people. Uh, could you talk about the status of deaf education? How often public schools incorporate ASL classes? And uh, whether or not like deaf children have to go to special schools? Not much has changed since we spoke last. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is, well, there's two really. One is when deaf kids today go to public school, they're usually the only deaf child in the school. Uh, they, they don't have peers who are like them. So there's significant social challenges, social development challenges for those children. The uh, schools for the deaf, there used to be two models of them. One is similar to the Pennsylvania School for the Deaf, where the whole school is deaf children. And then my high school model is an old one. It, it, it's a good one, but it's been going away. It's a kind of a magnet school program where um, deaf kids from the region all go to one school. So um, the benefit with those two models is you had peers in your age. You had peers in your classes. The school was more aware of you know, what it meant to be a deaf person. And they were more respectful of it. The reason why that second model is going away is because you don't see as many deaf kids today as you used to. When I was now, as a kid, that was the, uh, the tail end of the German measles and rubella epidemics that at that time caused a lot of kids to be born deaf. So when that went away, now you have fewer deaf children. So that means those programs don't have enough kids to go on effectively. But at the same time, it also affects these schools as well. Many have closed, many of the schools have closed in the past 20 years. Uh, now, a lot of people don't realize that when you are an only deaf child in a, in a school, 
it has a lot of negative impact, not just on social development, but, but for example, a lot of research shows that kids learn socially. Yes, your teacher may be explaining a concept to you, but you and your friends reinforce those concepts with each other. So there's an academic impact as well. So we are still struggling in this period related with how do we properly educate kids. This is one of the unintended impacts from a concept in disability education, special education, where uh, instead of putting all the kids in one classroom, all of the kids with disabilities in one classroom, they should be in the broader educational environment, or least, least restrictive environment. But for a deaf child, their version of a least destructive environment actually calls for more segregation, not less. So it's an ironic twist. What do you think of the inclusivity of deaf people in society with like new technology, with text-to-speech and speech recognition? Uh, do you think this is helpful or hurtful? It's helpful. The technology has been very helpful. Um, I, I can't imagine having to go through COVID with all the masks and everything without the, the speech-to-text apps and vice versa. Because uh, I've always been a mask that couldn't be ducks. Um, we do have a long way to go in terms of genuinely achieving inclusivity. Um, our employment rate for people with disabilities, and especially deaf and hard of young people, uh, is still shockingly bad. Uh, yeah, bad. Uh, I don't remember what the numbers were, but for among people with disabilities, deaf and hard of young people have the highest unemployment rates. And part of it, there are thousands of explanations now. The education system is now preparing uh, deaf people for employment. Um, the employers are not structuring themselves to be inclusive. No, uh, and I think the worst really is the lack of confidence. You know, people don't feel confident that the employers will be welcoming to them. So they don't bother trying to find them. One other example for me is, you know, I see a lot of gaps for um, speech to text. And it always become very, very clear to me when no deaf people have been involved in de developing or designing. Yeah. So uh, 
we also have to do better in terms of you know, finding those people and getting them into these roles where they can have uh, a key part in developing and designing the applications. Yeah, so sort of on that topic, um, can you give the audience some, on, some advice on how to collaborate with coworkers that have hearing difficulties? The first one is always going to ask the person what they prefer. Now, somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, maybe they've come back from Iraq and Afghanistan or military duty, and they have a hearing loss because of um, uh, noise exposure. Um, their needs are going to be completely different than mine. So having those courageous conversations, identify how how you're going to make this work, basically. Uh, the other one is, and this is more of a, a pet peeve of mine, is never ask the person if they need ups. Because you're basically putting all of the work on the conversation on the deaf person. So, and reading lips is really challenging because only 30% of the English language is visible on the lips. So you're forcing somebody who's trying to participate in the conversation to fill in the 70% of missing while still trying to understand what you're saying. So instead of asking the question, do you read ups? The question should be, how can we make this work? And if it means writing down something, maybe the person says lip reading is fine. Uh, changing the first question is a big part of that. According to recent statistics, 51% um, of deaf people complete at least some college. But the bachelor's degree completion gap between deaf and hearing people is still at as large as 15%. Uh, this indicates that deaf people have trouble in schooling. In your opinion, what can be done to close the gap? One big part related with gap is, again, the, uh, the isolation that deaf people would face in a college environment where they're the only person there, or the one of a few people who are there. Um, when I see deaf people successfully completing college, it's usually because they found their peers quickly. They found their peers early on. And that's true of anybody. It's not just deaf people. Uh, if, if, if you went to a college where you're the only, the only person who loves this band or this kind of music, you're going to feel a little bit lonelier than if you were got to college and found that your roommate would be people on your floor who also love that band or that kind of music. 
So uh, I think that's a huge part of it. Now, the, the social isolation that people will, will feel. The other part really it goes back to self-education as a whole. Schools are struggling to make deaf children, deaf graduates ready for college. So they get in and they're dealing with all of these concurrent factors. All of these things are happening at the same time. It's not one thing or the other thing. It's a number of them. Uh, the schools that succeed in graduating, most of the graduates are going to be the sports that have higher numbers of deaf people. They have better services. They have better wraparound uh, services. They have, uh, for lack of better words, they have equalizing academic programs. They are brought up to the same level in uh, comprehension and other areas for academic proficiency. Do you um, have like an estimate on like the fraction of social media and TV and videos that have like captioning or like an ASL translator? Um, it's interesting because uh, we have seen more and more cities passing bells that require uh, the percent of movies in movie theaters be captioned. And uh, all TVs and bars must have captured, turned on. And years and years ago, when people opposed those bells, they basically said, well, it'll be distracting. But today, nobody really opposes them on those grounds anymore because so much of our media on social media is captured now. Yeah. And that was done because most people were consuming the social media with the phone on mute or phone volume off. Scroll up and oh, see a video captured on it. They got used to it. So I, I would say definitely more in the past three or four years than the first 30 years of internet, 20, 30 years, whatever, of internet media. Uh, there are not enough. But what I've noticed is the uh, reasons for captioning have changed and for the better. So used to be you captioned the material to make it accessible to deaf and hard of hearing people. Now you caption the material to benefit from monetization. You're going to get more money from YouTube or Facebook or whatever, if you caption or subtitle your video, that's great because now now you're now it's not just 
one single motivating factor of being successful. It's you know, I want to achieve the golden YouTube flat, or I want to get X number of subscribers, or I want to earn this much money. I have to do this, get that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, I haven't really thought of it that way. Um, so are there any other areas where um, work can be done to make deaf people more included? I would say the biggest area in our daily guide of later with work is assessing and analyzing um policies of the organization we're, we're part of. Now a lot of organizations, like for example, they don't have a single person who is responsible for making sure that the facility, their processes are accessible. If they do, that person is not well known or not identified throughout the organization. So many times we find when we're doing advocacy services, we find that it's not a malevolent um, desire to avoid providing interpreters, for example. Usually the person has no clue and they don't know what next. And maybe worst is they don't have a budget for it. They don't, they're stuck between rocks, several rocks and hard places. So people are taking the time to assess the organization, to assess themselves and say, if I had this situation come up, what would I do about it? That's probably the best way for someone to get started. Okay, so uh, is there any immediate help that your organization needs? I think the biggest uh, help that we could do is just definitely a financial support. Um, we are in the process of starting several new programs. Um, here, for example, one program is providing young parents of deaf young children with mentors, deaf people, deaf adults who can tell new mom and dad, hey, it's going to be okay. These are some of the choices you can make. None of them are bad, none of them are evil, none of them are better or worse than others. But can, uh, I think a lot of parents just want to hear that uh, the choices they make for their children will be good ones. Yeah. And sometimes it's not the choices we would make for ourselves, but we can help them understand, oh, if it doesn't work out, these are the things you can do. So 
I think financial support would be wonderful. We have a, um, a link on our webpage, uh, slash donate, and people can donate money there. Uh, but also taking sign language classes. Now, those are probably some of the best ways that you can support uh, your community members by having basic sign skills. And you can take those classes remotely through gift stick as well. Um, but those types of uh, little small steps go a long way. Yep. So once again, thank you for all your insight, Mayor McDivitt. And your experience is truly inspirational for all of us. Thank you. Thank you.